opportunity to practice some conflict resolution on the break? No? Anybody have some opportunities to present themselves to practice conflict resolution later? <clears throat> you know, I love how the Lord works because we, we kind of put our heads together in terms of the presenters of what we're going to talk about. But we didn't go like deep into the weeds about what we we're going to cover. And so hearing what Daniel just had to say and having just a really good foundation in terms of just who we are and the sinful nature of, of, of humanity and how that gets introduced into the marriage. Like You laid a very strong foundation biblically that I think is going to help set my session because I'm coming at you from a different angle where I'm just like really trying to give practical things. I'm going to touch on some scriptures, but I'm going to just build on what everything that he said applies into this session, which is going a little bit deeper in love. And so um, a strong, healthy marriage, as Daniel said, doesn't happen on its own, right? It takes regular, ongoing work, and every bit of effort that you have to give toward your marriage is worth it. That's going to be a theme of this. Everything that you give to your marriage is worth it. If you think of your marriage as a high-performance vehicle, Yes. Um, a high-performance sports car. Anybody have a high-performance sports car? Anybody want a high-performance sports car? Okay, there's a few hands that went up. Cool. All right. Yeah, right? I love it. So your high-performance sports car is going to drive very, very well for the first few thousand miles without you having to do anything to it at all. Right? It's going to just it's going to perform. That's what it's designed to do. But after a short time, you're gonna to need to do some things, right? You're gonna to need to make some adjustments, some tune-ups, right? Change the oil, change the brake pads, change the fluids, not to mention the exterior, right? You want this thing to look great, so you gotta wash it and wax it and do all those kinds of things. And if you do those things, those maintenance type things, then your car is gonna to continue to perform at a good level. However, if we don't make those necessary investments, what's going to happen? It will eventually catch up and break down. And sometimes to the point where the cost of fixing what went wrong doesn't seem worth it anymore. Like it's going to cost me more to fix this than it would to do something else, to get a new vehicle. Now, this is not a session on auto care proper vehicle maintenance, as much as you would want it to be. But it's actually about growing deeper in love. Specifically growing deeper in the love that we have for our spouse. But I think the similarities you find are going to be striking. So keep that image in your mind about maintaining that sports car. I'm coming at you from a 30,000 foot view in the beginning here. So we're talking very broad language here. So if I say something and you're like, what about this? Just hold that, what about this, for a moment, because I want to lay a foundation, if you will. Um, we all know love has been written about, sung about, for longer than any of us have even thought about existing on this earth, right? Love is a very common thing. And there's no shortage of materials that you can pull from to inform your understanding of love. The question is, are there materials and sources in the world today that you want to pull from in order to inform you about love. Well, maybe there is, maybe there isn't. But there is one that I'm going to use as a reference to kind of help set us up, and that is um, a British pop star has a song called Make You Feel My Love. Make You Feel My Love. 
Maybe you know who that is, maybe you don't. It doesn't matter. But the closing line of the song says this. I could make you happy, make your dreams come true. Nothing that I wouldn't do, go to the ends of the earth for you to make you feel my love. And on the surface you're thinking, yeah, okay, I see where they're coming from, right? Nothing crazy there, nothing like red flag, like, whoa, danger, danger. But the song is written to a person that the writer desperately wants to love and be loved by. That's clear. But the approach that's taken here, I think, introduces a couple of things that are potentially dangerous. And they're also common, I think, to a lot of people's expectations or experiences with love. And so two things that can lead to unhealthy relationships. Um, The love in this relationship that this song represents, I feel, is very one-sided. All the attention is going to make the other person feel the love. There's a sense of almost desperation that the other person must be convinced that they will be loved. i got to do everything I can to convince you that you will be loved. Almost as if the right to love is being earned. And the privilege of loving someone else is contingent on how it makes that other person feel. Like, yeah, I'll love you if you know, I feel loved. And I think there's the twofold problem that I was talking about. The first reason I think there's great danger in this is because love is not a feeling. Love is not a feeling. It's not an emotion that so many people think it is. And I think that's where we get the idea of falling out of love. I don't feel like I'm in love with you anymore, so I guess it's over. (laughs) I guess we're done. We can go our separate ways. It's not an emotion. However... There are certain aspects, again, 30,000 foot view, don't, don't come at me with like, but I do feel things in love. Yes, of course we do. We feel all kinds of things. But if those feelings are your main source of your commitment and your devotion and your motivation, what happens when you go through a season of not feeling anything at all? Because if you've been married any length of time, you know that those feelings will come. You're in a season where you're like, man, I ain't feeling it. And if you're... Identity is in feeling loved. What is your choice then when you don't feel it? What's going to happen? So the second reason I think this is going to be dangerous is because love is not contingent on another person's actions. That is, your primary motivation and commitment to love another human being in the context of marriage is not based on what that other person does or does not do. Now, does that play a role in how we love? Of course. How the other person responds to us, how they love us, how they express love, all of that matters. But what I'm talking about is a very basic and foundational principle. We love our spouse all in, all the time. I want to walk this out just a little bit more, and then I promise we'll get to some more practical ways that we grow deeper in love. So, in the light of marriage, we're talking about the context of marriage here. There is a Hebrew word that I think is the most appropriate to describe this kind of love, and it's ahava, which means love of the will. Love of the will. And every marriage ceremony that that I've ever done, I use this example because I think it's so incredibly helpful. The truth that it reveals as marriages grow... You want your marriage to grow, right? As it evolves, as it changes, you need something, some kind of love to cling to as your marriage grows and moves and ebbs and flows. So this ahava love is 
I'm in this thing no matter what kind of love. I'm in this thing no matter what kind of love. It's not based on your feelings. It's not based on your expectations. But rather it's based on a commitment. It's the kind of love that says, hey, look, I know the real you. I've seen you're scary and crazy. You've seen mine. And we're not going anywhere. Right? I, I know you. And I'm here. Right? You regularly say and demonstrate to each other, this is not a contractual agreement. If you do this, then I'll do that. This is not a contract that we're talking about, right? At least I hope it's not. I'll sacrifice for my wife if she deserves it. I'll follow my husband's lead if he agrees with me. Like, what? No, it's not a contract. It's, it's what we call a covenant. It's a covenantal agreement, meaning it's a formal, solemn, binding agreement not at all dependent on what the other person is doing or holding up their end of the deal, so to speak. In the covenant of marriage, we give ourselves to each other, not 50-50, but 100% and 100%. All in, all the time. Now, are there going to be seasons where one or both of you doesn't have 100% to give? Of course. We, we all experience that. But that does not diminish the other person's responsibility to hold up and do what they have called to do. Love unconditionally. Because it's a covenant and not a contract. Does that make sense? I hope it does. Because contractual agreements is what we're all about. Like back in the day we had cell phone contracts. Like you pay your bill, you do this, and the company will do this. You do X, Y, and Z, and, I'll do, and then you sign your name and you do it. And that mentality has kind of built its way into our relationships a little bit. But that's not what we're talking about here. So, here's what I'm going to touch on a little bit here where I think maybe some of you are going like, oh yeah, I get the commitment thing, but what about the other things of, of love? So, has God called you to express your love to each other in a romantic fashion? Yeah. That's the gushy, sort of sentimental, sappy, emotional, sexy kind of love. Right? That a lot of people identify as the only aspect of love. Like, that's what love is. Yes, you're called to profess that kind of love, but you're also called by God to pr profess and express the kind of love that commits, that sticks, and that endures. It's both and. All in, all the time. Okay, remember, 30,000 foot sweeping view. Love can be very nuanced, and you might have a ton of questions about these things, but I want us to agree on some basic principles as we move forward. So just kind of giving those couple of ideas that love is not an emotion. It's not fundamentally emotion emotion or a feeling and love is not based on or contingent upon how the other person responds or loves you back keep those things in mind so let's talk now more about growing deeper in love and i'm going to do that by looking at three topics that impact love we're going to look at allies of love enemies of love and catalysts of love enemies allies and catalyst. We're going to go in this order, allies. Okay, so this is something that supports love. Sorry I don't have any fancy notes on the board. It's just going to be that up there. Just, you're going to have to be forced to take notes or memorize everything. I'll give you my notes if you want. So literally every word that I'm saying right now, I'll send it to you. Um, allies of love. First one, being all in. Kind of hit this one a little bit too, but I want to make sure that we're, we're understanding each other. 
This is the kind of attitude and approach to marriage that is necessary in order to see your relationship through the good and the bad. There's a mutual commitment that says, once again, we're in this together. No matter what it takes, we're going to put in the work. We will make the investment no matter what. And listen, it may sound simplistic to say, well, I'm just all in. Like, that's too easy. But there's something about that. There's a peace of mind knowing that your partner is equally as committed to you no matter what it takes. This kind of vow and assurance that when things are going well, man, we're going to celebrate together, we're going to rejoice, and it's going to be awesome. We're going to do that together. And then when we go through seasons of challenge, be it financial, in our communication, maybe a relationship with a family member that's kind of trying to intrude or whatever, um, health problems, no matter what it is, we're in it together. We're going to continue walking forward. Let me just throw this little caveat here. I was trying to figure out where to place this piece, but just I'll put it here. The word divorce has no place in a marriage that's all in. Um, a lot of people threaten divorce or kind of hold it over their spouse. The idea of divorce undermines commitment. So if that's something that has been built into your marriage or you've seen modeled in your own family, you know, parents and in-laws and things of that nature, divorce, the word divorce and the idea of that has no place in a marriage that is all in. I'll just put that there and leave it out there, okay? All right, the next ally of love is unity. Unity. And it kind of goes hand in hand with that previous one. To be unified, I'll say, just on the big picture things in life, what we'll call a sort of a common or shared view on major issues. Things like, how do we view disciplining our children? That's kind of a big deal. How do we make decisions about finances? What are our procedures like? How and when do we talk about sex? You know, important things. These are important things. At the very least, there should be a mutual understanding, a gracious understanding of the differences as you work toward a more unified front. I mean, let us be fair. We're not going to agree on all things. And, and in a perfect world, these kinds of conversations and questions are asked before you get married. Like in a premarital counseling setting, hey, what's your view on discipline? What do you think about X, Y, and Z? I said in a perfect world, if you're anything like my wife and I, this, this was no part of our discussion or process whatsoever. Never ask those questions in any form or fashion. But these things need to be talked about, right? They, they need to be talked about, explored, and then agreed upon. And I'll even add, reviewed from time to time. Because as I said, you want your marriage to grow and mature. And as it does, sometimes these things change. The dynamics shift. Don't they all ask that question five years ago? We're good. No, it's a constant, ongoing seeking of unity together. Okay, another ally of love is clear communication and spoken expectation. So I'm not going to go deep into this because in our next session, Audrey's going to talk a little bit about this, but... Let me just briefly offer this. Don't assume your spouse knows your expectations if you've never said them out loud to them. Do I need to say that again? Because I will. Don't assume that your spouse knows your expectations if you have not 
said it out loud to them. goes, either way, neither one of you are mind readers. It just does not work. Unspoken and unmet expectations are like a pressure cooker in a marriage. Why aren't they doing that? Well, because you never said that that bothers you. <laughs> you never said that that was an issue for you. Okay. Audrey, maybe we're going to talk a little bit more about the idea of communication and expectations. But that is an ally of love. Good, healthy, proper communication and spoken expectations. Last ally of love I offer is simply praying together and reading scripture together. It's really hard to be mad at each other when you're reading the word of God. It can be done. Don't get me wrong. It can be done. But it is an ally. It's, it's a help in your marriage when you begin to practice these spiritual habits. When your marriage is built on the foundation of godly love, it sets the tone for how you love each other. So spiritual habits and practices, family, worship time, these things are a necessary and strong ally for love in your marriage. So if it's not a priority, if it's not a regular ongoing practice in your home, man, start it now. It's never too late to start it. Get it going and watch what God does through that time. Okay, those are just a couple of allies of love. Now let's look at some enemies. We'll look at some enemies of love. Number one, <clears throat> complacency. Complacency. I think the longer we're married, the more likely we are to fall into rhythms and habits that foster the sense that, you know, things are eh, pretty okay. Things are pretty okay. Hey, how's, how's your marriage going? Yeah, it's, it's all right. And pretty okay is just that. It's not good. It's not great or fantastic. But it's not bad either. Right? It's manageable. Sustainable. At least that's how it feels. The reality of this particular situation, though is that relationships are never static. They're not static. They're either developing or they're declining. There's really no in-between because everything around us is constantly changing. Life is happening. If you've got kids, kids are growing. Jobs are changing. Neighborhoods are changing. Kids are you know, experiencing different things in their lives. And so our relationships require that ongoing care and upkeep in order for them to grow as well. And I'll be the first to admit I'm guilty of this kind of attitude. Because life is just that. It's busy. It's full. We've got a lot going on. And hitting cruise control on a marriage that seems to be doing okay can seem like a good idea in the moment. You know, we're doing all right. Let's just hit cruise control and pay attention to these things over here for a while. But I can assure you that's going to lead to places you don't want your marriage to go. And we're going to talk a minute about how to fight against complacency or getting too comfortable in our marriages where we begin to think that everything is pretty okay. But we'd be wise to avoid just maintenance or the status quo in our marriages. Okay, so complacency is an enemy of love. Next one is neglect. So this is the next level of complacency. And one of those places that I mentioned, you don't want your marriage to go. And oftentimes, I would say most times, this isn't done on purpose. Nobody... Probably most people don't neglect their marriage on purpose. It starts out as a little bit of complacency. You know, we're, we're doing all right. Let's just, again, cruise control. That's, that's what it is a lot of times. Is we're just going this direction. And then it slowly evolves into something more. Because if our marriages stay in a 
pretty okay status for too long, meaning the wheels aren't falling off, but we're not growing either, that's when bad things start to happen. Because now we've built in rhythms of our lives because of our busy and hectic schedules that don't allow for the proper care and maintenance that our marriages need. Because we've kind of just pushed it off to the side. And we filled it in with all these other things. Now we don't have space. or We feel like, man, I don't have the time to give to my marriage. Because I've got all these other things going on. I used the sports car illustration earlier. And I really think it comes to the forefront now. Just think about the engine of that beautiful car. Running great in the beginning. And then you get busy. And you forget to change the oil. Does the engine of your car care if you're too busy to change the oil? It does not care. It could care less if it could care. Couldn't care less. Whatever. You get what I'm saying? And at some point, it's going to go, Oop. I, I'm done. <laughs> I will no longer function. And it does not care if that upsets you or messes with your plans. doesn't care. Because we have neglected it. The same thing is true in our marriage. If we're not careful and intentional to cultivate and develop our marriages, it will come to the surface. And usually, people don't see it coming. Right? They don't see it coming. It's like, what happened? Things were good. We were cruising along. Because in their minds, things have been okay on the marriage front for quite some time. So it reasons, right, that if we just keep plowing through life, everything's going to be okay. And many people have learned that lesson the hard way. Neglect. Enemy of love. Okay, another one is hopelessness. Maybe you can see how there's a progression happening here, right? Um, and I truly hope that none of you get to a place where you feel like complacency has led to neglect and now you're in the situation where you're just looking desperately going, how is this ever going to change? Like, I just don't see how this, how it's possible. If this is where you are or if you find yourself down the path somewhere looking and surveying your marriage going, I just don't see how this is going to work. I just don't, I'm, I'm hopeless that things will ever change. Let me just encourage you, there is hope. There is hope. We've experienced this cycle twice in our own marriage where I'm looking around going, I don't see how this works. I don't see a way forward. And by God's grace and a lot of work, he has seen us through that. And things have grown and developed and been better than we ever imagined they could be. Not perfect, far from it. But I say all that to say, stay in the fight. Fight for your marriage, no matter what. Even when it feels hopeless, like it'll never change, your marriage and your family, as I said earlier, is worth every ounce of energy and effort that you can muster, no matter what it looks like. All right, one more. Comparison. Something you may wrestle with in this situation, or any situation, whether it's not just that when it's hopeless... Comparison can sneak its ugly head in at random times, but we need to be very aware of it. But the general sense is one that I'm sure you understand, and that is, man, everybody else has it better than me. Look at that marriage over there. Look at that marriage. Look at Lim over there. They, they've got it all together. Look what, look what I've got to deal with. 
All the other love experiences around me are better than ours. First of all, even if that were true, which it's not, how is that helping your own relationship by focusing on other things? And secondly, all of the time and energy that you're giving to compare is time and energy you could be what? Investing in your own marriage, right? So really there's nothing of value in this. And if, if, if you tend toward comparison, can I just lovingly tell you, stop it. Just, just stop. Just stop. Because comparison is a dangerous thing. It's actually built on your perception of what other people's lives are like. It's not based on that reality. Because I guarantee you, their marriage is not perfect. It's not what you think it is. Because right? we're really good at putting up this kind of front going, yeah, I've got it all together. No, you don't. There's no good to come from it. It's an enemy of love. And somebody told me a long time ago, and it stuck with me, comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison is the thief of joy. So just don't fall victim to it. Okay, I think we've had enough of those enemies. Now let's get to the good stuff. Let's, that's what you came for, right? How do I grow deeper in my love? That's what you want. What are my catalysts for love? Are you ready? Yeah. I'll get, Rochelle is ready. That's good, because some of these ideas may sound a little bit different to you. Or maybe like over the top, like, yeah, that's too much. Just go with me. Catalyst number one, observation. Observation. How often do you sit and study your husband or wife? That's a serious question. You don't have to answer out loud, but how often do you actually just sit there and study? And I don't just mean going, wow, check, check her out. I mean, that could be a form of study, I guess. But I'm talking like seriously sitting there and going, what brings my wife joy? What, what are some of my husband's strengths? How often do they just take time for themselves? How do they respond to negative negativity? What role do they play in our home? In what ways do they need more support? Maybe more support from me. How do hurts from the past still impact them today? How are they receiving my love? Are they receiving my love? How do they express love to others? Etc. 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 Any list of questions you can add to that. This isn't a one and done scenario either. This is regular, ongoing. As we grow and mature, a lot of the answers to these questions they change, right? As we change, these answers change. As we grow and mature, these answers grow and mature. So we need to continue to answer them. But what is the point in studying at all? Why do we study in general? For application, right? We don't just take time to study this information and then do nothing with it. We study for application. We gain information through intentional observation of our spouses. And then we allow that information to actually impact how we love our spouses. Can I just offer you one key way that we gain information? is simply by listening. <laughs> just listening. Like studying doesn't require talking. Just watch and listen. You'd be surprised what you hear sometimes. So if in your study you realize how your spouse receives love is not how you have been expressing love, what do you think you ought to do? 
Change the way that you express your love, right? Don't go, that person needs to change because I'm loving them this way and they will receive my love this way. That's essentially what you're saying if you refuse to go, man, I could probably adjust a little bit on how I demonstrate my love to them. I'm going to do that. Maybe you notice that your spouse just, man, they never take time for themselves. They're just so all in for our family that they just, they neglect themselves. You observe that through careful planning and, and looking and listening, and then you go out of your way to say, take a break. Just just go. Get out of here. In a nice way. And it doesn't have to be like, go on this lavish two-week vacation, right? No, just go to the park. Go to the beach. Go, do something. Go somewhere. But to know that your husband or wife took the time to observe you, see an issue, and then do something about it. Love bomb just exploded everywhere. Like, yes, thank you for seeing that. And thank you for doing something about it. Observation, number one. Next one, intentionality. And the word I'd use here to describe this action is to pursue. Pursue one another. Remember when you first started dating and you like went out of your way to make sure that person knew you were interested? You were pursuing each other. And for some reason, when we get married, that's like the first thing to go away. Mm. One simple way to pursue each other is by dating. Right? You used to date. Why do we ever stop dating? We shouldn't have. It's intentional time spent together and... and Different seasons call for different things. I get it. But try to do something special for just you two. Not dating in the car on the way to take your kids to school. Like, that's not a date, right? Maybe for a season it has to be that. I don't know. But, you know, something that is just for you guys, right? It's important to prioritize these things in our lives because it speaks volumes to each other. And who else is it speaking volumes to? It's to your kids if you've got them. Because you're modeling to them what it looks like for a husband and wife to pursue each other. It's a beautiful thing. One more note on this, and Daniel mentioned this earlier. Put your phone away. Right? In those moments, if you're doing something together, then be together. It's hard to be intentional when one or both of you are on your phone. I feel like I should have put this in an enemy of love category sometimes. Like we just, you go to restaurants and you see everybody just on their phone. It's like, what are you doing, man? Put that thing away. Be with each other. Be intentional. What you do in pursuing your spouse has intentionality and purpose behind it. Okay. Selflessness. This one's fairly straightforward. Doesn't require a ton of explanation. In short, commit to the needs of the other persons above your own. Now, you know, Scripture has plenty to say on this, right? I'll give you one example. Philippians 2, 3, 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. But to what end? Why do we put the needs of others above our own? Is it so that we can have a means of which to keep score? Or to somehow gain an advantage? No, not at all. Simply because your wife and your husband deserve to be put first. And if both of you aim to live this out, wow, like you will see what love is can look like inside the context of marriage. Okay, I'm going to give you two more and then we're wrapping up. Transparency and openness. These are catalysts for love. This is where we're getting a little bit 
um, deeper. Transparency and openness. Some would argue that there's nothing sexy or attractive about a person admitting they messed up. And I would argue with that person that they are wrong. When somebody takes responsibility for their actions, I love that. I think it speaks volumes. Actually going to the person on your own, hear me now, on your own, not being confronted with something that you did wrong, but you're, you're seeking that person out and you're going, hey, you know what? The way I spoke to you in that argument, man, that was, that was bad. I said some hurtful things. I'm sure that it did not make you feel right and wrong. I just felt you felt wrong. I promise you, I'm going to work hard to not do that again. Would you please forgive me? Like, you're going out of your way to be transparent enough to say, I'm owning that. That was me. It was wrong. Please forgive me. As an example, there are a lot of other ways that we can be transparent. By sharing openly and intimately with your spouse. By being vulnerable. And to a lot of people, that's a bad word. Like, nope, I'm strong. I'm a rock. Sure you are. But I think there's something incredibly powerful in cultivating love through vulnerable and transparent actions and conversations. Maybe there are things in your life that you've kept to yourself in terms of your past, your own personal struggles and such. And when it's appropriate, man, open up and share those things with your spouse because they can build another level of love and trust in your marriage. And it's those kinds of actions that catalyze love because you're saying something special to your spouse that you're willing to open up and be transparent and it's attractive and it fosters intimacy and love. It really does. Okay, last one. And I save the best for last. Enjoy each other as God designed for you to do in marriage through sex. Yes, we're going to talk about it, so just go with it. Because sex is one of the leading causes of marital problems. Did you know that? It really is. And one of the, reason, one of the main reasons it is is because we don't talk about it. We don't talk about... Bruno? No. I mean, we don't, but we also don't talk about sex. <laughs> We don't talk about how often we should or shouldn't do it. We don't talk about you know, certain aspects of sex that are uncomfortable or weird for us. And yes, I get it. It can be an awkward conversation, especially as you're young in your marriage. There's also no equivalent physical act of intimacy that does for a marriage what sex can do. There is no equivalent in terms of physical intimacy like sex. There's oneness, unity, joy, pleasure, intimacy, like Daniel talked about, a closeness that exists in those moments that are crucial to the kind of love that a marriage needs to thrive. Now listen, that may not be your experience with sex right now, but it is God's design and there is a path forward to see this kind of experience. So I want to encourage you to make space to talk about it if you need to. And allow for healthy sexual interaction to deepen your love for one another. Because it can and it will. So all of these things, they work together. Our understanding of what love is and what love isn't. Enemies of love. 
allies of love, catalyst of love. There's no one thing like, oh, if I just pull this out, it's going to save my marriage. If I just do this, it's going to be, whoa, so awesome. All of these things work together. Growing deeper in love is recognizing, acknowledging areas where we need to adjust. Maybe some things have come into the marriage that we need to combat. Growing in love is acknowledging it and doing something about it. But it's also committing to the behaviors and patterns of life that will catalyze and grow and deepen the love in our marriage. Let me just end with this. Be aware of the seasons in your lives. Because the cruise control analogy, I think, is so so true for a lot of relationships. We just go through life kind of being okay. But we've got newlywed season. We've got empty nester seasons. We've got deployments. We've got work. We've got young kids. We've got old kids. We've got all kinds of seasons of life. So don't be afraid to adjust to those seasons. As you adjust, though... Don't put caring for your marriage off to the side. It just cannot be done. So in the pyramid of importance, and maybe you've heard this before, the most important relationship you have on this planet is with your spouse. Period. Then it's your children. Then it's everything else. Right? But the number one relationship in terms of priority on this planet, outside of your relationship with the Lord, is with your spouse. Then there will be seasons when how much time and effort you have to give will vary. I get it. Things happen. Go with it and then adjust back to healthy rhythms and consistent levels once that season ends and a new one begins. So, hopefully you've got some takeaways for you in terms of Things to look out for, enemies, things that we should lean towards in terms of allies, and then things that you can do to catalyze, grow, and and deepen the love for you have for one another. Okay? All right, let me pray. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for the love that you have for us. We know that it is the foundation of everything that we have, Christ. Thank you for that, Lord. But, But we desire to honor you in how we love our spouses. So I pray that you help us identify areas in our lives where we're just, we're doing really well. God, and we can celebrate that and we can rejoice in how deep our love has grown. But also, Lord, show us the areas where we can stand for growth to deepen that love and to strengthen our marriage even more. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.